0: say that all the smartest people in the world have messy offices yet further proof my friends that i am a genius you know if they say that about geniuses i wonder what they say about the offices of lutherans are those messy too if they are then that is proof that i am not just lutheran but i am twice the Lutheran. Alright, it's not so bad in my office, it's just after a long week of coming and going. You know how it is. You know how it is. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us on the podcast adventure of a lifetime. Another gluten-free podcast episode of Twice the Lutheran. I'm Pastor Wells with two L's because I'm Twice the Lutheran very very happy to be back with you again would still love to hear from more of you a reminder the email to get in touch with me with your questions comments concerns or insights podcast at twice org. podcast at twice org. i thought about you guys the other day Because as you know and remember, we're studying the seventh commandment, that seventh commandment that forbids stealing, you shall not steal. And just for a brief reminder, what does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not take our neighbor's money or property or get it by dishonest dealing, but help him improve and protect his property and means of income. So why did I think of you the other day? I saw a video, must have been, I don't know, was it on Twitter or something? There's this sort of uh, controversy going around, this revelation going around that when you buy your laundry detergent, the bottle is like half empty. So the big economy-sized container is only maybe, maybe three quarters full. So what did I see people doing? They're going to remedy the situation. You open the other bottle of laundry detergent on the shelf and pour it into the one you wish to buy. So that way, you are getting more laundry detergent for your money. So let me ask you, is that okay? Or let me ask you this, who is stealing in that scenario? Is the person Pouring the laundry detergent together to make one bigger container, are they stealing? Or is the company stealing from the customer by halfway filling the bottle and advertising it as a better deal? I'll give you a minute to think about it. Who's in the wrong? Here's the answer. They both are. (laughs) The answer is who's the, the the, the question is who's the better crook? (laughs) You heard it since you were little, and it's still true today. Two wrongs do not make a right. Do you think that it is right for Tide or whoever it is? I shouldn't use the name brand. Ignore the name brand. Do you think that it's right for manufacturer A or B or C to pull a fast one on the customer by changing the packaging, sizing, or weights, or ingredients. No, it's not. That's stealing. Unless they're telling you up front that that's what they're doing, then they're stealing from you. But two wrongs don't make a right. You don't then get to turn around and start basically robbing from the store because that's finally who takes the hit, right? The manufacturer already got paid. You walk out. You're doing fine. So you got two crooks and... The third party the store is the victim now I don't want to make too much of that because I know business deals and packaging science and there's a lot there but let's be honest you guys shop don't you you've been to the grocery store we call it a, a rather dignified sounding shrinkflation where you're paying the same price for the food that you did before, but the food's gotten smaller, or the packaging's gotten smaller, or the ingredients have gotten worse. It sounds so dignified to say shrinkflation, like we're just, we're just going to play around and experiment here with packaging. You know what it actually is? It is stinking theft. Usually, we think about you shall not steal, like don't go into the store and rob from somebody. But the reality is, our theft nowadays is way, way, way more sophisticated than that. There are two ways in which we typically get robbed from in sort of secret or hard to prove ways. And this is not a political statement. This is just a fact of the matter. Inflation and taxation. Does anybody really think that it's okay that we are taxed to the rates that we are? I I mean, it's legal. It's legal. God tells us we have to pay it, so we'll pay it. But, I mean, think about it. There are some very big questions whether or not your tax dollars arrive at the location for which they were intended. There is a lot of question marks that your tax dollars are used in exactly the way that you're told they're going to be used. There are dollars that that, that, that fall into pockets they have no business being in, and they get there through very sophisticated machinations of Monetary, financial management, and policy. And sometimes I'm convinced that we make those processes purposely complicated. Because if it's too complicated, people just walk away in frustration and they never realize maybe there's some theft going on here. Now, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying all. I'm just saying all. I mean, if you don't have some questions about it, I don't know. Maybe you're not paying attention, but I got questions there. And how about that other one, inflation? Yeah, that one's pretty sad actually when you think about it. If you every everybody knows that if you talk to grandpa and what what did a dollar buy in grandpa's day or great grandpa's day that it uh, that it doesn't buy nowadays. Yeah, that's pretty sad. That is why is that? It's not that things got more expensive necessarily. Some of that's true, but it's that the purchasing power of of the money that we have is failing. I think the dollar has lost something like, you know, a huge, like over 90%. I don't know. Somebody look it up. Let me know. But there's a huge percentage of our dollars purchasing power that has disappeared. Some of that's intentional, I want to be careful because I I understand that those things are complicated. Those are complicated ways. But finally, the rubber meets the road when you are shopping at the store and you realize, boy, oh, boy, the grocery bill sure climbs pretty fast nowadays, doesn't it? And you look and you go, well, what, what I used to pay $300 for, I'm paying $500 for. So now I'm spending $500 and the cart isn't any more full than it used to be. And in fact, it might even be a little bit emptier because of shrinkflation. I understand your frustration, friends, because I feel it too. And I'm right there with you. So what's to be done? Start uh, lighting your pockets with stuff from the grocery store to offset the bill. Start combining laundry detergents on the shelf. Why not throw a couple extra granola bars in the box that you're buying too? Do you see how good we are at justifying or excusing our actions? If, If the world devolves into a question of, Who's a bigger crook and who can out-crook the other crook? Boy, that's not a world I want to live in. That is not a world you want to live in either, I don't think. Yeah, thieving happens all the time. It just happens in very sophisticated ways. I mean, we even have politicians that have stock portfolios that outperform the market and market experts. I'm not making any accusations. I'm just saying, all. Don't you kind of raise an eyebrow at that? Hmm. How does that happen? <laughs> How does it happen that, that people with a salary of you know maybe 100K or 200K a year have a net worth in the tens of millions of dollars? Hmm. Hmm, I'm just saying's all. There are some questions that, yeah, you might get a little bit in trouble for asking, unfortunately. Now, it's pretty easy to point the finger out there at them, those guys that do those things that I don't do. So pat on the back for me and boo-hoo to you. But I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a contention. I, I will posit to you that I bet your thieving is pretty secretive too. Have you ever been tempted to move a decimal point on your taxes? Yeah, that is thieving. Well, Pastor Wells, you know they're taking our taxes, you know what they're doing with them? I know. I know, I'm with you. I have to bite my tongue and swallow hard and, and, and wipe the tears out of my eyes when I got to pay my tax bill too. And I did just pay my property tax bill. Ugh. The tax season is coming up again Ugh. And we got to go through this horrendously over overly complicated routine to pay more money to the government who says they are more qualified at spending my money than I am. I get it. But if you are cheating on your taxes, that is thieving. That is stealing. If you are playing fast and loose with the books at your business, that is stealing. How about those of you who own a business? If you're not thinking very carefully and very diligently at what you owe to your customer. Isn't that stealing? If you are going to, let's say, for example, buy a computer, and you know very full well that you're going to buy the computer online, but you go to the local computer store and, and make that uh, that shop owner explain to you the ups and downs of the computer and you give him the impression or lead him to believe that you're about to make the purchase in the store, and you don't, did you steal from him? Yeah, I think you did. I think you stole some of his time, huh? And after all, time is money. Time is money. If you are purchasing a product from the store that you know full well you intend to... Use and then return. Are you stealing? Now, you got to be careful with some of these. I, I understand that some of, those, some of those processes and transactions can be a little tricky, and, and you might have bought something in good conscience, and, and now you got to return it because it wasn't what you thought it was. I get that. But I'm talking about in your heart with intentionality. And you might say, well, you know that those guys out there and the system is out to abuse and extort me, so why shouldn't I abuse and extort them every now and then when I have the chance? Especially, Pastor Wiles, if it's legal. I would posit this to you. The world is worse off if the only question we are asking, is it legal? is it legal there's a lot of things that are legal it doesn't make them right there's a lot of things that are legal that are not in line with God's word and the 10 commandments and those are some examples i'm not saying that every single time you enter a store to talk to the clerk that you you now owe him something i'm talking about the intention and the conscience Do you ask yourself sometimes, what what are the obligations that I have as a customer? What are the obligations that I have as a service provider or a business owner? After all, the Lord tells us to take care of our neighbors. And who is that? Well, it's technically everybody, right? But some neighbors are closer to us than others. Some we interact with, some we don't. So the question is, of those neighbors I do interact with, of those neighbors I do have a financial transaction with, am I being honest? How about another one? You charge well above market price for something that you are trying to sell on Facebook, Marketplace, or Craigslist. Is that is that right? Do you pride yourself in saying, no one's ever gotten a deal out of me? Hmm. I wonder about your generosity then. I'm not saying you got to overpay now for every car and undercharge for every service. I'm just saying, Zal, that sometimes that we are pretty good at hiding our intention to steal and justifying it. I'm just saying all. I can't answer those questions for you. I can't even walk you through every scenario. All I can do with the Word of Christ is lay it on your heart. Is it true that you don't owe anything as a customer? Is it true that the what 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 constitutes a successful uh secondhand marketplace deal is that you got a deal and no one got it out of you? I don't know. I do know. <laughs> In my case, I know, but in your life. And, and, and again, this really comes down to a, a question or attitude that's going on in the heart that then translates to the hands because finally, that's where it all starts, right? It all starts in the head and in the heart. I want something that's not mine. I desire something in a wicked way, and then I carry out that intention. That's what can happen. And so we dive back into the catechism on page 93 at that exact point. Because in the catechism on question 93, here's what question number 81 says. Here before the question it says, Because of our sinful nature, we aren't content. Oh, truer words were never spoken. Because of my sinful nature, I'm not content. And finally that's what my whining and complaining are all about, right? If you're a whiner and a complainer, are you somebody that's just constantly negative? Nothing's right. Everything's wrong. Every purchase, every it's all wrong, wrong, wrong. Let me tell you today how this person wronged me and let me tell you today how that person wronged me. I was owed something more, something better, something different. And so we complain. And once we have justified in our mind that, yes, I was in fact owed to something different, better, then I can justify just about any action I want to go and get what I'm convinced I'm justified in getting, to get what I'm convinced I should have. So back in the catechism, because of our sinful nature, we aren't content with the abundant blessings God gives to us. Our lack of contentment leads us to sin against this commandment. We'll talk about the very specific ways in a moment, but recognize what a lack of contentment can do. A lack of contentment is not just bad for your mental health, although it is, A lack of contentment isn't just bad for your emotional health, although it is. A lack of contentment finally leads you to take action in line with your lack of contentment, whether in thought, word, or deed, and then sin against this commandment that is all about the stuff at the heart of which God is saying, be content with what I gave you, please. Because I gave you these things and not somebody else these things. These are the things I want you to have. These are the things I want you to be in charge of. These are the things I want you to distribute. And our lack of contentment leads us to say, no, I don't want it. I want those things. I want God what you gave that guy. I want not only his stuff, I want his intelligence, I want his good looks. I want his money, I want his personality. Do you see how we could just go on and on? So this commandment is not just about taking somebody's money. That's that's certainly there. But at the heart of this is a contentment that leads me to say in many, many areas, Lord, you made a mistake with the way you made me. Lord, you made a mistake in the way in the things that you gave me. I should have something different. I should have better children. I should have a better wife. I should have a bigger house and a faster car, and I should have more money and more stuff. And if you gave that to somebody else, then I want to go get it. And so you see what starts in the heart as a lack of contentment. Quickly turns into a life of ingratitude. It can even become a life of outright thieving. And stealing. As with all of the commandments, the battlefield is first and foremost the battlefield in our hearts and in our minds. Now back to page 93. So if that's true, if our lack of contentment leads us to sin against the commandment, then here's what the catechism asks. What are some ways that people sin against God in the way they use the gifts that he gives? So we're not looking at you know stealing somebody else's gifts, although that's true enough. But let's look at exactly the gifts you have, the things that have been given to you. What are the ways that we, we sin against this commandment? Well, how about this one? The lost son... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hold on. Pastor Raul's getting excited. Back up. Luke 15, 11 through 20. A lot of verses, so you know what I'm going to say. This one is a parenthetical statement. A summary of those verses. The lost son wasted his possessions by sinful, selfish living. I will make the argument that every selfish use of the gifts God has given you is a wasted gift. Every single one. So if you were given $10 and you invested it in the stock market and received back a million dollars, I know, (laughs) that's an impossible rate of return. Unless you're a certain politician that I know of. Ah, There's my sarcasm. I shouldn't say such things. You're given $10 or $1,000 and you turn it into a million and you turn that million around and you buy a big house and a fast car and you keep those for 50 years and then you die. Was that money wasted or not? Yes, of course it was. Of course it was wasted. The point isn't that you can take a little bit of a gift and turn it into a bigger gift. The question is, what are you doing with the gift, whether it's little or big? The size of the gift doesn't matter. What you've been given is ordained by God. So what do you do with it? If your answer is, the blessings that God gives to me are mine and I own them and I can do with them whatever I want and I choose to use them for me, that is illegitimate. That is not what God wants. Does he want you to enjoy some of the gift? Yes, sure. Absolutely. But if your first, last, and only thought is, what do I get out of this deal? That's a wasted gift. So don't be surprised, by the way, if God just doesn't give you much. (laughs) Because you're a dead end at that point, right? You're 100% a consumer. You're a dead end as far as pass-through gifts are concerned. You're a dead end as far as wealth and gift distribution are concerned. So don't be surprised if God doesn't shove just a whole lot in your hands. So what should that lost son? You can go read that story from Luke 15, by the way. Sometimes we call him the prodigal son. What should he have done with those gifts? Well, when you read the story, you realize that it's not it wasn't really just about the gifts itself. That young son is despising just a whole lot in the household. He's despising the, the accountability that is there between him and his father. And he wants to get, I got to get away from dad because dad's holding out on me. I got to get out of here. So dad, give me my stuff. Give me my portion of the inheritance. I'm, I'm out of here. And you might wonder like, okay, should the dad have given it or not? I, I don't know, but that's not the point of the story, right? That's not the point of the account. The account from Luke 15 is the son is despising not just the wealth and the inheritance. He's despising a lot of what's going on at the house, and so for him, the wealth doesn't become a means to serve somebody else. It becomes a means for him to escape accountability and go have a good time. But how did it turn out? Yeah, it leaves him broke and destitute, as with every living in the world and for the world will do. And so he has to crawl back to dad. And there's two things that have changed. He is broke, and he's broken. He's broken but look at how the Father receives him. And in that instance, you have a picture of God, your Father, and you. How many times haven't you come to the conclusion that my stuff is all for me, and in fact what God says is worse for me, because when God tells me what to do, He's holding out on what really would serve me well. He's holding back on blessings. He's holding out on the fun. And so forget that guy. I'm out of here. And the reality is you might be able to get away with that for your entire life. And you'd say, well, Pastor Wells, that's not called getting away with it then. That's called being successful. (laughs) No. Because what happens at the end? No matter how you use your blessings, you are going to die. And there will be an accounting before God. So praise be to God that sometimes he lets us stubborn fools when we're using our money just for us and we're chasing what we think is going to be a good time. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes you make me broke and broken. And if we can say thank you for making me broke and broken, then I can say Five times over, thank you, Father, for always receiving me back. Yeah, we call that story in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really a picture of the father. That's the main character in the story. The father who receives the son back, broken, broken. It's a picture of God. In Jesus Christ, he receives you back as his child. Forgives you. Puts a robe around you, the robe of Christ's righteousness. Gives you a seat at the party. The party in heaven. All right, let's press on a little bit more. How else do we sin against this commandment? Another parenthetical for you. Another summary statement. Luke 10, 30 through 37. Several men beat and robbed a traveler. Ah, yes. The well familiar story of the Good Samaritan who comes across a man who has been beaten, and instead of being selfish, like the others who had passed by, that Levite, those church professionals who walk by on the other side, it just so happened to be a Samaritan. Those, those, in the Bible terms, those biblically, uh, you know, kind of hated half-breeds. But the one who didn't expect takes care of him. But for our immediate purposes in Luke 10, several men beat and robbed a traveler, which, of course, is a sin against the seventh commandment. Now, we typically kind of classify the ways that we illegitimately get things. So one one class is called Robbery. That's usually where getting somebody's stuff involves force. You beat them up or you break in. That's usually a robbery. A robbery involves some sort of a force being used. And so you can obviously see multiple commandments being broken, right? The fifth commandment, you shall not murder. How many murders have happened so that we can get the stuff which is the seventh breaking of the seventh commandment. And where did it start? In the heart and the mind with discontentment. I'm discontent, so I need stuff. But that guy's in the way of my stuff because he has what I think is my stuff. And so I can kill him or hurt him or beat him up and take his stuff, and therefore, now it's my stuff again. And in that course, you have a robbery, which is... Stealing, taking somebody's stuff by use of force. But not all taking of somebody's stuff involves force. Leviticus 19.35, You shall not use dishonest measurements of weight or volume. So you obviously get the picture, right? Back in the day, you're transacting business, and you want to sell a certain amount of something. Oh, we have to measure that out. Well, if you want to get a good deal as a merchant, you, of course, want to buy low and sell high. And so maybe you just tend to mess with the measurement just a little bit, just a little bit. So that if somebody were to bring me, oh, I don't know, three bushels of corn and it just so happened to weigh out at, I don't know, 2.5 bushels of corn, 2.9 bushels of corn. And then I use a different uh, set of weights when I'm selling and that 2.9 just whoo, magically happened to be four. Uh-huh. That is called Fraud. You are defrauding somebody when you are taking their money with dishonest measurements. And the Lord hates those. He says so, Proverbs 11.1, 1, Dishonest scales are disgusting to the Lord, but an accurate weight wins his approval. Dishonest scales are disgusting to the Lord. He hates defrauding people. He hates when anybody's defrauding people. Now, you can see that this could easily still happen today. Uh, The one one time I think that we interact with that sort of uh, uh, accountability, I'll say it that way, when you go and uh, pump your gas, look around on the gas pump, and sometimes you'll see a sticker on there that it's been certified as accurate by I think sometimes it's the it's the Department of Agriculture, and it's the weights and measures division. How do you know that you're getting five gallons of gas when you're pumping five gallons out of that tank? You don't know. The only reason I could ever say I got five gallons of gas is because the machine that tells me how much gas I'm getting says I got five dollars or five gallons worth, but I don't know if that's what I got. Now, do you trust the U.S. Department of Agriculture to give you an accurate weight? I don't know. <laughs> you kind of have to. I mean, unless you're going to do something to, to 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 do your own weight and measurement, but then you got a big question: Are your weights and measurements correct? See, we round and round we go. Use accurate weights and measurements. And by the way, you can you can see why it'd be the U.S. Department of Agriculture that would see that would oversee that, right? They're selling food and crops and whatever. So they got to weigh all that out. So you have to have an agreed upon measurement of weight, a standard, so that you're not defrauding people. All right, how about another one? Psalm 3721, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous are gracious and give. The wicked are the ones who are borrowing and not repaying. Which brings up a good question. Should you ever borrow money? Well, unfortunately, in the United States, basically the entire financial system is built on, you guessed it, debt. (laughs) The dollar really finally is a measurement of debt, isn't it? How, How does a dollar come into existence? You ever ask yourself that? A dollar is borrowed into existence. It happens when the government takes out a loan of borrows. That's what bonds are. They're borrowing. The central bank will borrow to the government. Okay? So should you borrow? Well, sometimes you're going to have to, right? But you need to be very careful. You have to be very careful because the Bible will tell us that the one who is in debt is a slave to the one that they're in debt to, right? That's always true. The minute you borrow money, now you owe it. So yeah, you might have to take on some debt. Make sure it's good debt. Yeah, you might have to take on some debt to to buy a vehicle, Make sure it's one you can afford, one you need. And yeah, yeah, you know, we might put a couple extra bells and whistles on it. Why? Well, you can enjoy some of the things that God's given you. But the minute that you're that you're sinfully overstretching yourself, where you've committed, let's say, ninety percent of your income now to luxury, well, that can be sinful. Debt is in it can be enslavement, right? Because finally, the more we borrow, especially if we're borrowing just for our enjoyment, our luxury, that is fewer resources now that are available for the kingdom of God. Those are more dollars we commit to ourselves and less dollars that we can commit to preaching the gospel. So, yeah, you have to take on some debt, but you got to be careful. You probably got to take on some debt to buy a house, got to have somewhere to live. You might have to take on some debt to get an education. But that doesn't mean if you've decided you have to take on some debt, then, then that's the end of the conversation. Borrow a million bucks. No. Wisdom is called for at this point. Faithfulness is called for. You have to take into account all of the obligations the Lord would have you meet day by day and make your financial decisions. Now, when you're taking somebody's money, borrowing and not repaying, or or defrauding, that is a form of theft that is done with some secrecy. So there are multiple ways that we steal from people through fraud, through theft, with secrecy, right? Robbery by overpowering them. It's taking their blessings. How do you... How might you be stealing secretly? Well, have you ever had a 10-minute break at work turn into a 20-minute break at work? That last 10 minutes was you stealing, wasn't it? You're on the clock. You were just paid by your employer with money to do something that you didn't do and that you weren't supposed to do, namely, go on break. So make your 15-minute breaks, 15-minute breaks. Make your 10-minute breaks, 10-minute breaks. And when you are working, work hard, work diligently, work faithfully. Not because the boss is watching, not because you're looking for a a, a pay raise or a promotion, although those come along, thank you, Lord, and take those if they match with what uh, your, your obligations are. But when you're working, work diligently, work hard, work faithfully. Why? Because of the Lord, he wants you to. Because to do anything other than that would be fraud, theft, stealing. And finally, what does it come down to? First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge them into complete destruction and utter ruin. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. By striving for money, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. What is in the heart? If you are burying greed in the heart and you are running after get-rich-quick schemes, sinfully wasting your money with gambling, trying to get money with the least amount of work, trying to get money you have no business getting, you are hiding greed in your heart. And what happens? I've seen this happen. They are plunged, those who are chasing after those things, are plunged into complete destruction and utter ruin. I've seen people who in their rush to get rich, their rush rushed to have more. Not only didn't get more, they lost what little they had. They lost their family. They lost their dignity. They live with the taste of regret in their mouths. And that bitterness can easily become focused at everybody else. Somebody else is to blame for what happened to me. When the reality is, dude, you were chasing money. And it didn't work and you're mad because it cost you everything and then some. Don't chase money, my friends. Don't chase money. Because worst case scenario, you might actually get it. And then what? Then who do you turn into? Don't chase money, my friends. Malachi 3.10. I made a reference to this one. I'm sorry, Malachi eight. I made a reference to this one in the last episode. God talking about the tithe and bringing in the tithe, giving to God the offerings he wanted to see. Here's what he says in Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? You are robbing me. You say, how have we robbed you? In regard to the tithe and the special offering. Imagine that, God looking at us and saying, you're robbing me. That is a terrifying thought. It'd be terrifying enough if God caught me robbing somebody else. But the fact that God could look at me and say, you're robbing me, that's terrifying. And, of course, the people responded, in Malachi, what? what do you mean? How have we robbed you? In regard to the tithe and the special offering, you didn't bring a gift. You didn't give to the kingdom. If you read in the Scriptures, every time you come to see a king, and this is true in not only just the Scriptures, but in world history too, if you go to see a king, you better bring a gift. And yet, how often don't we in in pure selfishness? Because I think it costs me too much. Because then I might have to go without something. I come without a gift. So we think more of earthly kings and governments than we do of God. What if church, what if my church, St. Mark's, what if we had an IRS department of St. Mark's? (laughs) The Internal Revenue Service. What if we mailed out a bill? What if we sent a bill to everybody's house and said, this year your church dues are $1,000? What would happen? Oh, my goodness. Not only would God himself be ticked, (laughs) the people would be, and rightly so. But since we don't do that, and since God doesn't do that, what do people often do? Well, Whatever. I don't need to bring anything. I got nothing to bring. Oh, well, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so we just treat with disdain the God who is patient and loving and who has given everything. The government never died to save you. The government doesn't promise you rescue from death. The government doesn't. Forgive your sins. God has done all of that, and he's done it all for free. He doesn't even send you a bill. (laughs) God doesn't even have an IRS department. World governments do. God doesn't. So does that mean we shouldn't bring an offering? Of course not. Of course we bring an offering. But not an offering out of obligation or duty. Not Not an offering of grumbling and complaining. That's what you bring, that's what you give to the IRS. Shouldn't even do that, right? Without gumbling and complaining. But to God, who never asked, for God, who never sent a bill, to the God who says, by the way, when you bring me an offering, you're going to find an increase of blessings. Not necessarily monetary blessings, but an increase of blessings. Why wouldn't we bring him an offering? And not just an offering that shows us to be miserly and selfish, but an offering that shows us to be generous. An offering that might even actually stretch my budget. An offering that says, you know, I can't buy that thing this week because I I want to give an offering to church. Wow, that's a good gift. But an offering that's an afterthought? Were you God's afterthought? An offering that gives the leftovers to God? Is that what he gave you? He didn't give you leftovers. You weren't an afterthought. He gave you the best, the blood of his son. You weren't an afterthought. You were carefully planned out in his plan of salvation. You were carefully accounted for. And not just you, but every one of your sins, carefully accounted for. Why? So that they would be punished in Jesus Christ, so that you would never be punished. Think of the accounting God did there. And he gives it all for free. So bring him a gift. Bring him a gift. A gift from the things that he first gave to you. All right, one eye on the clock. Let's press forward a little bit more. Page 94. We finally get to turn another page. Question 82. An Old Testament prophet started stated a sobering truth that applies to all of us. All of us have become like something unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy cloth, Isaiah 64, 6. Our sinful nature is alive within us and taints our use of God's gifts with sins such as selfishness, guilty, and greed, guilty. So how can we be sure that our sins against the seventh commandment are forgiven? 2 Corinthians 8, 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, what did he do with his riches? Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So that through the poverty of Christ you would become rich. I want you to think about what it would be like to wake up in the morning having won the lottery. That'd be pretty cool. Who of us hasn't daydreamed about that? You hear that the Powerball's at a billion dollars, and you're like, wow, if I woke up with a billion (laughs) dollars, I would immediately be a jerk. (laughs) That's what I think. Yeah. Would you even be the same person? I I know a lot of people, I I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. Uh Uh-huh. Sure, you wouldn't says the guy who's got 40k a year about the about the prospect of winning a billion. Oh, it wouldn't change me a bit. Really? Come on. Of course it would change you. It would change the way you think. It would change the way you act. It would change where you it would change just about everything about your earthly life. But what did God do? With his riches, he went the opposite direction. He woke up the morning and was broke. What happened? Somebody robbed him? No, he gave it up. Why? So he could have you. So that he could have you forever. Because you are worth more to him than anything that this world would ever offer or that money would ever buy. Christ Jesus, humanly speaking, went to bed one night. The king... Rich, a palace, lives in glory in heaven, wakes up the next morning poor, broke, doesn't even have a home. Why? Gave it up so that he could rescue you. Romans 5.19, just as through the disobedience of one man the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will become righteous. That's how you can be sure. That your sins against the seventh commandment are all washed away. Jesus made sure of it. That's why he gave his blood. That's why he gave up his position in heaven for a time and came to earth for you. Let's go to question 83 and finish up the seventh commandment in a record two episodes. Because of sin, we we were under a curse. Yet in his amazing mercy, Jesus took our curse upon himself. He freed us from the curse uh, curse and forgave us. Freed and forgiven, we want to honor him with our lives and our possessions. How does the seventh commandment serve as a guide? Showing us how to serve God with our possessions. We've already covered so, so much of that. But here is one, at least one good verse to leave you with. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Not the powerball, not a gigantic whale sized pay increase. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we certainly cannot take anything out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be satisfied. Friends, you are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are those who are spiritually alive because of Christ. That means you are those who can choose to be Content. Yes, contentment is a choice. It's a choice only you and I can make through the through the blood of Christ, a choice only you and I can make through the power of the Holy Spirit to say, this is enough. It's enough. I can be content. I don't have to worry. Do you hear what I said? You don't have to worry. You can be content. Because you know in the end you leave this all behind. Whether a million dollars rich or a million dollars in debt, it's all left behind. And you go home to the glories of eternal life forever in heaven. So while you're here, use your life and your money to praise your God by using them the way he wants you to. It is that time already. Bye goodness. My friends, until next time, sweeting is such part sorrow.